have been looking, and I know it's Wednesday night, and I know it's us, and I know most of you probably fully understand this, uh, and yet I, I really, it has application not only for us spiritually, but it has application for us uh, in relationships and in parenting and in numerous other aspects of our lives. But I have been looking uh, in the word of the Lord and I uh, <clears throat> wanted to talk about five elements of worship. And I know there are more um, elements than this, but I really wanted to talk about five of those elements and I don't know how far we will get. Um, Sister Marcia said she liked the smell of asphalt and she wanted to sit out here on the deck and watch it. And uh, I told her we were going to sell tickets. Depending on how much you put in the offering, you could sit on the steps and watch them do asphalt while I'm preaching. So do I have any bids? Opening bid is $5,000 for a front row seat. No, sorry. Uh, but anyway, we are glad you're here, and uh, good to have all of you here. And I, I, these elements of worship go to the heart of what God is all about, and having a relationship with God is all about. And I don't want to bore you or overwhelm you with, you know, <clears throat> going from Genesis to Revelation, preaching all of the Bible. But I do want to just sort of explain briefly, and I know you all, this is a legacy church, you've heard sermons, I've preached sermons, you've heard words on these <coughs> items on numerous occasion. And um, um, I don't know, can you see the screen any better? We got new bulbs in the projector anyway. I don't know if you notice that. Of course, we have that bright light from the sun from uh, the uh, <coughs> coming in on the windows, but, but we did get new bulbs. They were going out. That was uh, one of the reasons why we had the lift in here. That was last week when Brother Foster was here. He worked on the blue lights, and then he worked on, and uh, Brother David put changed the bulbs in our projector. So we've been doing a lot of uh, <coughs> repairs and getting things together. But um, Adam and then, of course, Eve walked in the cool of the day with the Lord. It was supposed to be one-on-one, -on -one, personal, intimate, uh, every day. They were supposed to have a time with the Lord. And we know about the fall and all of that. And then uh, you fast forward, of course, there were people like Noah that heard from God, others that the Bible said followed the Lord. Uh, Cain uh, killed Abel, and then Seth was raised up, had a relationship with God. You can read through Genesis, and it was sort of a family tree, a family line. The Bible uh, <clears throat> talked about Enoch walking with God, Noah, of course, obeying God. But then you would come to Abraham, and then the following patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, et cetera, et cetera, that 
uh, basically were called out. And you remember the story of Abraham. He was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. Go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham went. He lived in a tent. He uh, followed after God. And what was it that Abraham did in his relationship with God? He, uh, like Noah, uh, like others before him, he built altars. He built an altar. He would build an altar unto God. He would build an altar unto God. He would offer sacrifice. That was his worship. Then, of course, Moses, the children of Israel, and Moses, uh, the children of Israel, after Jacob, go down for several hundred years into the land of Egypt. They multiply as a nation. And Moses, of course, uh, is raised in Pharaoh's house because of being put in an ark bulrushes and uh, found by Pharaoh's daughter and, and uh, <clears throat> believing that the Nile was a god, believed that Moses uh, came from the gods. And so she uh, <clears throat> raised him as her son and Moses goes off into the desert. And we don't know that Moses had much of a relationship of worship to God. In fact, uh, he had not even followed uh, the custom of circumcision that had been started uh, back by Abraham. Uh, and so uh, he was just sort of um, uh, there in the wilderness. But yet the burning bush and go back to Egypt, let my people go. And he does and the great exodus. And then Moses is given the instructions on building the tabernacle. And the tabernacle uh, was a tent. Everybody say tent. Tent. It was not a permanent structure. It was a tent. And we can teach on the tabernacle. And this church I know has heard uh, probably... Uh, <coughs> hundreds or thousands of sermons in the past however many years on the tabernacle, seen illustrations, taught it in Sunday school, and all about the uh, curtains and the hooks and the golden feet and the pillars and the rods and, and the holy place and the holy of holies and all the furniture and the labor of water and the ark, the altar of sacrifice and then the altar of incense and we can go through all the tabernacle pieces and yet um, it was mobile. It was uh, a physical representation of the presence of God. Uh, a cloud descended on the tabernacle and a pillar of fire at night and there was the Ark of the Covenant was where the mercy seat dwelt. And so the people were to come to God. Uh, come to God. They now journeyed to God. And if they woke up one morning and the cloud had moved, what did that tell them to do? Pick all the tabernacle up and move where the cloud was. And then set up shop there. And a pillar of fire, and it guided them. They followed God all through the wilderness for 40 years. And they were, you know, all of a sudden, pillar was here, they built it here. Pillar went over here, they put it here, and they camped around about it. And wherever that was, wherever God was, was where they were. 
for 40 years. It's like pounding it into your head. Wherever God goes, I go. Wherever God goes, I go. Okay? And then you have David who wanted to build a temple. And he asked God about building a temple, uh, a house. And, and you know, um, what did the Lord tell him? First, the prophet said, sure, uh, go ahead, build a, build a temple, that'll be good. And he, the servant goes back, Nathan goes back, and the Lord speaks to him and says, wait a minute, you just said do it. You go back and tell David, you can read it in 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, go tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, shall thou build me a house, build me a house for me to dwell in? says, I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes who I commanded to feed my people, saying, why don't you build me a house of cedar? So the Lord said, I didn't ask for a church. I didn't ask for a temple. You're the one. And yet, if you keep reading there in 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, he finally says, but it's okay. Let Solomon build it and establish a temple. And I will establish your kingdom, David. Establish, build a temple in Jerusalem. Now that was an important mind shift because now for the first time people had to journey to God, not with God. In other words, there was a permanent spot, Jerusalem, the temple, and people were supposed to go there three times a year and it was permanent. And so they made a trip to Jerusalem to be with God. And one of those was at the time of Passover, one was at the Feast of Pentecost, one was at the Day of Atonement. And they were to go, and they were to go to the temple. Now, at that time, they established, <coughs> the word is called synagogues, or pseudo-churches, if you will, where they preached taught the word, had high priests that would uh, speak and teach them about the word. But three times a year, everybody was supposed to do what? Go to Jerusalem. And even today, when the Jews celebrate Passover, if they celebrate it in Newark, and there's a Jewish community, or in Columbus, uh, their last words at the close of the Seder is next year in Jerusalem because that's where God is. We're going to God. We're going to where God is. And now, of course, before they didn't leave, wherever they left, they came back to Jerusalem, which is why 
the story of Jesus as a little boy going to Jerusalem, his family. That's why in the New Testament, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was going to Jerusalem. I, I mean, all these things because they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate either Pentecost or Passover or whatever because the journey was to be with, with the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the Old Testament ends, and we're going to look at the last word to the Old Testament, which is in the book of Malachi. But all of this was leading to a point when Jesus would come and again would turn worship upside down. And I realize, you know, some people say, well, you don't have to go to church to find God. That's true. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But yet, uh, we all of a sudden have a uh, sort of a, 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 the Lord uh, flipped it on his ear, basically he said it to a woman uh, that was by um, a, a Samaritan woman. It's found in John the fourth chapter, and you remember the story. She uh, was um, not, uh, she had been married several times. She was not a, a, a very prominent individual, well thought of individual in the community. She came to the well at the worst time of the day. She came during the heat of the day. Uh, the ladies that went to the well always went in the mornings when it was cool, got the cool water out of the well. And there was usually, it was like a social gathering and hi, how are you? How'd you sleep? And what's going on? And oh, did you hear about so-and-so? And I heard this and that was the normal chatter. But this lady didn't have a whole lot of friends. In fact, there was nobody else there. And Jesus said, I got to go and then and I have to go to this well in Samaria. And he sat down. And you remember the story. It's Wednesday night and all of you are Bible scholars. And this lady walks up in the heat of the day. And, you know, the Lord says, man, how about a drink? And uh, she looks at him and she can tell he's Jewish. And she says, nay, nay. First of all, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. Secondly, you're a Jewish guy, and I'm a woman, and you shouldn't be talking to me. And no, no, I don't think so. I'm not, I just need to get my water and go. And then the Lord said, oh, well, but if you would ask of me, I could give you a well of living water springing up, and all those things. And she began to question, and the question ended up being about worship, remember? It was about where we worship, what's going on with the worship. And so she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say, Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. So he was saying, I'm going to take it away from Jerusalem. You worship, ye know not what, but we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour coming cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God 
God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, if you read that in like the message, which is, um, puts it more in common language, not King James English, says it like this, but the time is coming. It has in fact come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking out for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. So that worship has got to come from inside of us. That's what he was saying. And he was saying, you don't have to do it in Jerusalem. You don't have to do it. You say, well, well, pastor, are you saying you don't have to come to church to worship? That's right. Now, do we, I, let me just be quick to add, unfortunately, if you won't worship here, most of us don't worship at home. I find, now, it, now, those of us, maybe on a Wednesday night crew, the numbers would go up. You know, you can't be there, so you'll play the, <clears throat> the VHS or the DVD, or you'll sing, you'll raise your hands, you'll sit at your home and worship, you'll put on a sermon. I understand. Most of us, maybe, on a Wednesday night would do that. But most people, if they won't worship in a church... They don't go home and worship. It's not out of their very innermost being. Just ask them, how many times did you raise your hands and clap your hands, walk around your house, say, praise the Lord. Read the Bible out loud. Dance in your living room. Now, some of you have done all of that. But most folks don't do that. You know, and unfortunately, and I, I know from the pandemic, and I appreciate all of those that are online and we love our online group, but I try to encourage them, worship where you are. You know, if you remember, I would say, raise your hands with us, pray with us, and yet, um, I had a few people that confessed. Maybe I shouldn't give you their honest confession. Oh, Pastor, I, oh, oh, I really enjoy. I, oh, I see. Pass me the Fruit Loops. Um, yeah. Oh boy, that was a pretty good song. What did you think? Um, chomp, 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 chomp. Huh? Hey, let, we better call. We better call Pizza Cottage before it gets close to noon. Let them know our order. Who's going to go pick it up? 
I know, I, they're about ready to close down. Hurry up, we gotta beat the crowd. All them church people will be coming. Huh? Maybe none of y'all. I'm not saying our my Wednesday night crowd. But I had many people confess that they were glad that the cameras weren't on them while they were watching us. Because they didn't bother to get dressed, they didn't bother to, you know, get out of their pajamas and uh, I want another ice cream cone. All right, shut up, wait a minute, hold on, okay. Then we're preaching away and we're asking God to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. Hold on just a minute, Pastor, I gotta go get, let's see. Honey, what are we gonna do? Did you get any toast this week, bread? I mean, I Huh? None of y'all did that. I'm talking about during pandemic. And we don't do that. I mean, we get into it. I understand. But in fact, I've had some that say, man, I, I got to confess, it was a lot easier and nicer just to worship at home. None of us said that, I know. But I, I get it. You can worship at home. I'm not... But the problem is, unfortunately, we don't always worship at home. You understand? We don't always. So this is why making the effort, making the sacrifice, I'll talk about that, coming to the house of the Lord, taking time out of your schedule. Oh, well, boy, it's just a whole lot easier. I'm cleaning the house. I'm wiping the counters. I'm putting on a load of wash. I got the dishes going. I'm feeding them breakfast. It's easier to sit right here. Why should I get dressed and go to church? Anyway, hallelujah. we talk about that later. Don't want to get in trouble. I'm not trying to get in trouble. Stephen reiterated this when he got stoned. He was preaching in Acts, the seventh chapter. You can read it. He said, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. And basically, all of that, Howbeit the most high dwells not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house shall you build me? What is the place of my rest? And then he said, you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised because you resist the Holy Ghost. In other words, what he was saying is the Lord wants to tabernacle with you. And they got so mad because he was tearing down worship in Jerusalem, basically. Saying that the Lord wants to be in us, each of us. Now, we know that to be true. In fact, we've all studied, read the book of Revelation, and at the end of the time, when you get a glimpse of heaven, Revelation, the 22nd chapter, you see John culminating his vision of a new Jerusalem with people worshiping God and falling down and worshiping at the feet of the angel. And the angel stands him up and says, don't worship me, but worship God. And they're all around the throne having the hearts of God, worshiping God. And so we see that worship is central and an important part of what we're supposed to be doing. And so these five elements of worship are, are very important to understand, to grasp, 
to embrace, to hold on to, because you need to have all five of these pillars if you really want to call it worship. I know, you can say, you know, O H I O, hallelujah. And that's well, I worship, you know. Worship is more than just this. Now it can involve this. But there are some underlying elements of worship that are necessary. Worship is more than just kneeling down. I knelt down tonight and asked Sister White. No, that's what her son said. I was asking her to marry me, but no, she was telling me a story. I was getting close to hear her. He took a picture of us. Said, Mom, did you say yes? because I was on my knees. Worship involves, you can kneel, and that's part of worship, but I wasn't worshiping her. I wasn't worshiping God. I was on my knees so I could hear her better, get down where I could hear her better. You understand what I'm saying? It can involve clapping your hands, it can involve raising your hands, it can involve singing, it can involve shouting, but there's some underlying elements of worship that I really want to talk about. And actually, the Bible, you know, and I know I, you preach out of Malachi, it's going to be about giving. And I thought, boy, that's a great sermon tonight. It's about giving since we need a lot of giving going on out here to my right, you know, across in front of me. But Malachi is a, a, an extraordinary book that's the last book before... Uh, <clears throat> the Lord quits talking to the people for over 400 years. The Lord has allowed all this Old Testament worship. He gives these last words, and then the next words are when God speaks to Mary and basically says, you're going to have a son, you're going to be Jesus, and Jesus is going to turn this worship stuff upside down. And so his last words through the prophet Malachi, and then there's 400 years of silence. It, it starts out, and, and it's an amazing book because a lot of, some books don't even mention God at all. The book of Esther doesn't even use the phrase God or the Lord in it at all. Now we understand the, the symbolism of Esther and it's historical and and what it was all about, and, and that Mordecai, and all that, but it doesn't use the phrase, you know, Esther prayed to the Lord God, or anything. It doesn't say any of that in the book of Esther, and yet we realize it's a great book, very important book, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, and some books don't just barely mention God, and, and others are in the Old Testament, but Malachi writes 55 verses, 55 verses, Four little chapters. You can read it. You know, you can read the entire book. You can go home and read it a whole lot quicker than you can read Psalms. I mean, boom, Malachi, 55 verses. It's like reading one big long chapter in Psalms 119, and, and you're, you're done. And 53 out of the 55 verses mention the Lord or the Lord God. 
And so it is a powerful book with regard to the Lord. And so Malachi, um, he starts off by saying the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. Now there were several prophets, Habakkuk, Zechariah, others that used that phrase, the burden. In the Hebrew, it means a weighty or judicial sentence. A burden of the word of the Lord means like, this is the judgment of God. This is the word of God, the heaviness of the word of God. And Malachi writes it. He opens up the book of Malachi with this is the burden. And, and what does he say to Israel by Malachi? And notice it says to Israel, uh, and at this time it was written, it was after uh, the northern ten tribes were gone, so it was talking to all twelve tribes, to Israel, all twelve tribes. That would be the name Jacob. And uh, what does he say in the first chapter, in the second verse of Malachi? Does anybody remember? He talks about the five elements of worship. First one is, he says, you can read it, I have loved you, saith the Lord. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, how did you love us? How did you love us? And he goes, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid the mountains in his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, where are impoverished? We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness. And I and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Now this wasn't the first time that the Lord had spoken to the children of Israel about his love for them. He had given them amazing illustrations to the northern ten tribes. You remember, and we all know the story, and it, the prophet Hosea. Everybody remember Hosea? He actually tells Hosea to marry a lady who is a woman of ill repute, and she has three kids. Read it, the book of Hosea. And each of the kids they name horrible names. You are not my people. Uh, you've gone off with other lovers. I, I mean, you know, I mean, how would you like to say, you are not my people, come here. I mean, the judgments of God, Hosea, and that was to the northern ten tribes. And then to the southern two tribes, the book of Ezekiel. And I mean, remember the book of Ezekiel. He gets even more explicit with Ezekiel than Hosea. You thought Hosea was bad. You get to Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, and he says, when I walked by, I saw you like an aborted baby just laying there in a desert in your, in your afterbirth and you had not been solid. Remember? 
I know it's us, and I'm sorry for those of you who are online. It's adults only in here. We have our youth gone, and everybody else is gone. But he's, and, and then you know what he says in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel? He said, you're worse than a prostitute. You're worse than a harlot. He said, at least a harlot gets paid. You pay money to get lovers. Wow. And yet, how does he end both books? How does he end Ezekiel? But I love you. I mean, he is calling them out on what they are doing, and yet he is basically saying, yet I still love you. And now Malachi, now to Malachi, God says, I have loved you. And why is that important? Because if you're going to worship God, you must respond to the love of God. You have to tap in and believe in the love of God. If you don't believe in the love of God, you cannot really adequately worship God. If you say, well, I'm not sure wherein has God loved us. That's what he said about Malachi. He said, let me tell you, I, I, you think you've got it bad. You ought to see what the world is going through. And we've all said that. And I know it's on a Wednesday night and everybody has said, wow, I, I can't imagine going through this without. Because if, and, and that's what he basically said about Edom. He said, look at the desolation of Edom. Look at what they're going through. Look at what happens to their children. Look what's happened to their families. Look what they're going through. Oh, I know you can find one that looks like they're on top of the world. But I'm here to tell you that if it were not for God and God's love, none of us would be alive today. And the mercy of God, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I, when you stop and you begin to realize, wow, this is why in the New Testament, John said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. One, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God and not toward us, in that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. The only way we're going to get through this hour is to know and embrace and fall in love with the Lord and say, Lord, I need to feel your love. I know you love me. And that's the one thing the devil tries to attack when you're going through something, when you've had a problem, when the doctor gives a bad report. Oh, well, I just don't know if God loves me anymore. That's a lie. You can't worship unless you believe in the love of God. That's why he tells Malachi, he says, I have loved you. 
I'm fixing to not talk to you for 400 years, but the last word I want to say to you is I love you. Wow. Now, how would you like that? You just got to believe it. That's why Paul wrote it like this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. How do you do it? How do you get strength in this hour? How do you get strength in this hour that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge to know something that goes beyond what you know I know what I know because I know that God loves me that God died for me on Calvary I'm sorry you've come too late I know I'm going through it right now I know I'm in the hospital right now I know things don't look good right now but I know whom I believe and I know he loves me he died for me I know the love of God oh but do you really think God don't let the devil go there with you if you're going to worship you've got to know and believe in the love of God he said it passes all knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages world without end amen I want you to understand that I, you may say I, you don't understand there's a strength that comes on the inner man when you realize and remember oh how he loves me oh how he loves me oh how he loves me. Oh, I don't see it right now, but I know he loves me. He's not talking right now to me, but I'll never forget he loves me. He went to Calvary for me. If he doesn't do anything else, I know he loves me. You have to have that assurance. And oh, I know, you know, well, if he really loved you, he would. That is a lie. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Is that going to separate you? Hmm. Well, I'm going through it right now. I don't know that I can praise God like I should. Okay. You've let it separate you from the love. You need to feel the love again. You need to pray through until you feel the love. Raise your hands. Say, Lord. I... Huh? What? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Oh, that's a lovely verse. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. How many want to be slaughtered today? Praise the Lord. But does he love me? If I'm going to die as a lamb, I'd rather die as one of his lambs in his fold 
that I would be lost in this world out in the wilderness. Huh? I would rather, oh, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Emotions are a central part of worship. Now, I didn't say emotionalism because emotionalism is not equal to emotions. You understand? I can go, woo, O-H-I-O, and I can look like I'm doing a whole lot, and I, it's, oh, you got any more tacos, Doritos? Huh? I think I want one of those ballpark franks. O-H-I-O. But something's got to touch your emotions here. And I know, and I I know, my time is up. It's 8 o'clock, and you guys are wonderful, and the asphalt smell is just harder enough to deal with. And I've had people say, well, I'm not very emotional in church. But I, let me just tell you, when I get mad, I get emotional. When I get frustrated, I let them have it. Feel bad. The other day, Baron and Raina, I said something about, to the moon, Alice. They go, yeah. And I know. They were like, yeah, right, to the moon Alice. What does that mean? And I said, have you ever heard of Jackie Gleason? And they said, Jackie who? Who is she? I said, okay, sorry, my bad. Date myself. Don't want to say no more. Huh? Oh, I can't raise, I can't get emotional in church. But I can get angry, frustrated, express my feelings. You say, well, I don't. We used to have a saying in psychology, they were emotions. In other words, emotions, meaning movement. There was somebody had been touched by something. You know, you're angry, and so it makes, moves you to do something. You're depressed, you're moved to whatever. Emotion, something had touched you. Something had put something in motion for you. The point is that worship involves emotions. I I understand emotionalism, and I understand it's Wednesday night, and you can say, well, we're not very emotional on Wednesday. And I get it, that part. But... Every time I really worship God, it's got to move something in me from the love of God. Said here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loves us. And so it becomes vital that I am opening myself up to feel the love of God. 
Lord, pour your love out on me. I want to feel your love. I want to feel your presence. I want you to wrap your arms around me. I, what are you doing? I am trying to worship because I want it to come from my innermost being of emotion. You say, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't ever get emotional to the moon, Alice, you know. I don't ever, no. I think all of us have emotions and, and that part of us, love and loving God, is a central part of worship. And if I'm kneeling and I'm pouring my love out, if I'm rejoicing and dancing and doing it out of love for God, if I'm waving my hands out of love for God, if I'm weeping and I'm doing it and love is flowing through, it is the key part of that, the first element is love. Everybody say, I got to have a love from God. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Let Jim come.